0: For Radio Catskill, this is Rosie Starr. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Rob Antonitis from Civil War Cidery describes his involvement with Bucknell University student Ben Fink, who wants to make a sustainable beverage from ugly apples.
1: When... Ben Fink came to me and said nice to meet you local cider maker have you ever made an ugly fruit cider i'm interested in doing something like this could i help you possibly accomplish this i said it sounds really hard to do
0: all of that in keith hubbard's star talk after news headlines
1: Live
2: from NPR News, I'm Giles Snyder. Attorney General Merrick Garland is saluting law enforcement officers who protected the U.S. Capitol three years ago today. NPR's Kerry Johnson reports the Justice Department is looking back at the Capitol riot on January
0: 6th. Federal prosecutors say the siege on the Capitol building may be the largest mass violence against law enforcement in American history. At least 140 officers suffered injuries that day. The FBI is still searching for dozens of people who assaulted police during the riot. Attorney General Merrick Garland is honoring the officers who defended members of Congress during the attack. Police were beaten, sprayed with chemicals, crushed indoors, and dragged down the Capitol steps. Some are not able to return to work. Garland says his thoughts are with family members of five officers who died in the line of duty as a result of what happened to them on January 6th. Carrie Johnson, NPR News, Washington. Vice
2: President Kamala Harris is set to bark January 6th today. She is scheduled to leave Washington this hour to deliver the keynote address this afternoon at an event in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Organizers of a campaign to pass an amendment guaranteeing the right to an abortion in Florida have hit an important milestone. NPR's Greg Allen reports they appear to have collected enough signatures to put it on the November ballot.
1: A coalition of groups including Planned Parenthood and ACLU Florida says it's gathered more than 900,000 verified signatures, almost 20,000 more than the number needed. That's enough to put on the ballot a constitutional amendment stating that no law shall prohibit, penalize, delay or restrict abortion before viability. Florida's Attorney General Ashley Moody is asking the state Supreme Court to block the referendum from going on the ballot. Moody says the wording of the measure is misleading because it doesn't define certain terms, including viability. Florida's Supreme Court is holding a hearing next month to determine whether the abortion referendum will go before the voters. Greg Allen, NPR News, Miami.
2: The Lebanese-Iran-backed Hezbollah militia says it has fired more than 60 missiles at an Israeli military base in retaliation for the assassination of a top Hamas official this week. NPR's Jaina Raf is in Beirut.
0: The leader of Hezbollah, Hassan Nasrallah, told followers in a speech Friday that Hamas would retaliate against Israel for the killing of a senior Hamas official and six others in Beirut this week. On Saturday, the group rocketed a key mountaintop airbase it said was responsible for surveillance and command and control of military aircraft in northern Israel. A Hezbollah statement said the attack was in retaliation for the killing of Salah al-Aruri, a founder of the Hamas military wing. Israel has not acknowledged responsibility, but Lebanon and Hamas blame it for the drone strike on a Hamas office building in Beirut. Jane Araf and Pure News beirut lebanon
2: this is npr news this is radio catskill a winter storm warning goes into effect for our entire listening area today warning starts at 11 a.m for wayne and pike counties 1 p.m for sullivan and delaware and 4 p.m for orange and ulster the warning lasts until 7 tomorrow evening six to nine inches of snow expected more possible in higher elevations in the eastern catskills snowfall will be heavy at times up to an inch per hour especially this evening into tomorrow morning Travel may be impacted. This is
0: Radio Catskill. Listen local. Welcome back to Farm and Country. I'm your host, Rosie Starr. On today's show, Rob Antonitis from Civil War Cidery describes his involvement with Bucknell University student Ben Fink. Ben wants to make a sustainable beverage from ugly apples, which are not fit for the marketplace. But first, here is Keith Hubbard with this week's Star Talk report. Thank you for joining us on Radio Catskill for this week's locally produced, Farm and Country.
3: For Farm and Country, I'm Keith Hubbard and this is Star Talk. Last month, Mercury was at its highest point in the evening sky. This week, Mercury will be at its highest point in the morning sky. The times when Mercury is highest in our sky is when Mercury is at its greatest elongation. Friday will be the first of seven times this year that Mercury will be at its furthest distance from the sun in our sky. Look for Mercury low on the southeastern horizon starting at 6.15am. At that time, Mercury will be five degrees above the horizon. It will remain visible for about 45 minutes before the glare of the rising sun washes out Mercury from the sky. Mercury will rise to about 10 degrees above the horizon before the day becomes too bright to see it. 10 degrees is the width of your fist held at arm's length. Though Mercury reaches its greatest elongation on Friday, it will be 10 degrees above the horizon at sunrise all week Mercury is usually difficult to see in the sky. As the closest planet to the sun, Mercury never strays very far from the sun and is always found low on the horizon around sunrise or sunset. Luckily for us, Venus will serve as our guide to Mercury this week. Venus will be a little higher than Mercury in the southeastern sky. To find Mercury, start at Venus and look about 13 degrees off the lower left-hand side of Venus. This week is a good opportunity to spot Mercury low on the southeastern horizon just before sunrise. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up.
0: For Radio Catskill, this is Rosie Starr. I'm speaking with Rob Antonitis, owner of Civil War Cidery in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, which is south and west of our Honesdale radio studios. Rob, thanks for joining us.
3: Hi,
1: Rosie. Thanks for having me.
0: A local Pennsylvania news item caught my eye, and um, sounds like you're involved in an experimental collaboration with a Bucknell University student named Ben Fink. Ben is enrolled in environmental studies and has designed a project that uses unwanted ugly apples and creates cider. (laughs) Let's take it from there. Can you elaborate on this?
1: I can, but that's the whole project, Rosie. What what more should I say? It's delicious and it's available right now, but in limited supply.
0: I understand that you had a debut.
1: That's correct. So uh, part of the project wasn't just the finding of the apples and the determining of how we would sort and and use this ugly fruit. Um, not just apples, peaches, pears, plums, cherries. And incorporated into our regular cider making process to achieve a sustainable brew. But it was also the business side of it. And that meant that we worked with Bucknell's Small Business Development Center, and we worked with MIDI's their marketing, innovation, and design students, and some other folks uh, at the university to come up with a plan for marketing. Did you get
0: good comments on tasting and flavors?
1: We had a lot of great reviews. You know, something that I think Ben Fink, the student, learned through this process is that Hard cider drinkers are not your average beer drinker and they're not your average wine drinker or certainly the cocktail folks that are just once in a while. The cider drinker is often a person that's focused on craft. They are drinking something that has a story behind it, something that has a complex taste to it. So a lot of different elements that, that come into finding this less than of alcohol drinkers in the United States prefer hard ciders. And so when we cast a wide net and really promoted our sustainability for this beverage, uh, we pulled in a lot of folks that weren't cider drinkers. And, you know, from time to time, we put out a peach, a pear, or a plum cider, uh, which is apple primarily with those other flavors, and those are very accessible because we make sure we have lots of peach, pear, or plum flavor involved during that secondary fermentation. And when we get some of those customers from outside of that typical hard cider aficionado and they appreciate the product and they appreciate that particular line of the product, but when it comes to making a pure hard cider, that does not have a secondary fermentation with other fruit, that does not have any back sweetening, that is not refined after it's finished. This is something where we wanted to take the raw good, do the basic fermentation, and see what we came up with. And what you come up with is a great hard cider, a complex hard cider, a dry hard cider, a bitter, a little bit of bitterness to the hard cider, and uh, that came forward, that came through. And so we had these folks coming in from around town and from around the region to try our cider. And we had to say to them, hey, listen, you see our peach pear and plum and our blueberry on the shelves at your local distributor or at your favorite restaurant. And we make those deliberately accessible for the non-cider drinker so they can appreciate them. But this Misfit Mashup is the name of the cider. This Misfit Mashup sustainable cider is a cider drinker cider. So it's going to be dry and it's going to be bitter. And I think that once you prepare folks for a dry cider, for a complex cider, you do get the good reviews a little more often than you would if somebody just picked it up and they expected but like the Johnny Appleseeds or the Jack's Hard Ciders that are out there, which are very sweetened hard ciders that a lot of Americans are used to. So, you know, we did have a lot of great reviews from people that drink our cider and uh, like cider in general. And we also had a lot of views of folks saying, I get it, I respect it, and I can, you know, I'll have this can or two, but I'm a beer drinker or I'm a wine drinker. And so no bad responses, but we created a drink that is made for the folks that enjoy a very craft beverage. I would call it a success. I would say that the responses from the people that we were trying to attract and trying to give a great drink to were overwhelmingly tickled with it.
0: Well, it sounds very exciting, and I'm I'm new to drinking cider, but I do like what I've had. We have Catskill Region apples here. They're very good, and um, I'm very curious about your cider. I understand um, Professor Andrew Stuhl helped out to make this product sustainable. So uh, there's benefits to the planet and the community with this particular product.
1: Correct. When Ben Fink came to me more than six months ago and said, nice to meet you, local cider maker. Have you ever made an ugly fruit cider? I'm interested in doing something like this, could I help you possibly accomplish this?" I said, (laughs) I didn't say no, I said, it sounds really hard to do because for cider makers, there usually isn't a in-depth sorting process for every single apple uh, to make sure that you don't have a diseased or a rotten apple in your mix. And there isn't a boil process to inoculate your ciders even after you've made the juice, just in case there might be E. coli or some other uh, uh, disease on it. And so my initial response was, then you need to go and do some research and come back to me with some ideas because it's not something that the industry thinks about because we know that we can go to the orchards and get Seconds. These are the fruits that don't make it into the USDA fancy selection of an apple, the perfect apple. That's what they're always looking for, the perfect fancy apple. These are apples that if you didn't know it, look just great on their own. Uh, They might be a couple centimeters too small or they might not have the stem attached or something weird. And we can get all of those apples already as cider makers and We also know that when we get those apples, we're guaranteed good juice, and we don't have to go through an inoculation process after we've pressed the apples and and gotten our base raw good to make our hard ciders. So when I said that to Ben, he turned around and went to his advisor, Professor Andrew Stuhl at Bucknell, and said, I've got a hang-up. I've got a guy that likes the concept and a cider maker that has the capacity to do this, but I didn't want to research the process. I wanted him to do it. And so Andrew Stuhl really stepped in and connected him with other folks in the industry uh, from brewers to cider makers to winemakers and allowed him to learn what processes were out there and what the cost of effectiveness of them would be and the logistics behind moving the juice around to get these processes accomplished so that he could come back to me with a rudimentary plan of how we might make this project come to fruition
0: yes and i understand that ben fink actually went to the local apple orchards and picked the apples himself
1: ben was up in those trees (laughs) and uh, i don't know how he took some of the selfies Uh, a, a few of the times he took his buddies with him, and of course they got pictures of each other up in the trees but he was even getting pictures of himself up in these trees. said, <laughs> Ben, how did you accomplish all this and get the great photographs? <laughs> He's got a couple posts on our Instagram. If you get the chance, you can go to Civil War Cider on Instagram or our Facebook and see Ben climbing around in these trees. He was primarily at two of our local orchards, Greens Fruit Farm, which is about 20 minutes south of us, and it's probably 30 minutes from the Susquehanna River. And uh, the other one was Drees, D-R-I-E-S, Drees Orchard, which is right next to the Susquehanna River and takes advantage of that slightly warmer microclimate that's so perfect for apples in Pennsylvania and, uh, you know, large production. And Drees is, is one of the biggest apple orchards in Pennsylvania and use the apples on the trees in those two locations to go out and pick and then bring back so that we could start the processing And the sorting uh, process for making the hard cider. So it was really neat to see uh, him go out and do that. And then there were other situations where, you know, this project wasn't all the beauty of climbing a tree and eating an apple while you stick it in your satchel. It was also apples coming off the sorting line at each one of these orchards. So these orchards are trying to sell their primary apples as USDA fancies or some of their secondaries to, we have a lot of Amish folks in this area to the Amish folks who are making their apple pies and they're making their apple sauces and they're canning apples and they're making candied apples. I'm getting hungry talking about this. They have a lot of uh, other apples that go through their sorting lines that they're able to dump into large bins, bins that carry about 1,200 pounds worth of apples, 20 or more bushels. And for those situations, we would organize my trucks to go over and forklift the big bin, put it on the lift, and then get it over to the cider press that was donating their time, their press and their time for us to do a heavy sorting process before uh, pressing the apples on their rack and cloth press.
0: It sounds like this entire project benefits The community, it's a community adventure.
1: Absolutely. I've been in the cider business since 2008. I've been making fresh cider since 2005. And then in 2008, my father and I began our 16-month journey to get our first cidery license. And the name of that business was Colonel Ricketts Hard Cider. It's about an hour away from my current spot. And my sister runs that one now. But at Colonel Ricketts Hard Cider, we had the second cidery license back in 2009 for a cidery that was pr- solely producing hard cider in Pennsylvania. And uh, right now, there's 55 of them. So, you know, it's really changed a lot since 2009. But one of the things that got my father and I into that business, being from a logging family where he worked... In a lumber mill for 30 years i mean he wasn't cutting down trees but it was a family business and uh, where i grew up doing that and then went off to college and did other things but when we got to the point that we had a cider press we enjoyed making juice we were selling it to our friends and family all around the ricketts Glen state park area and the travelers coming in and everything we realized that we could pay The orchard for apples that they couldn't sell. And so we were putting extra cash into those orchards pockets. And they're our neighbors. They're our friends. They live 30 minutes down the road from us. And we used four or five different ones. And they started to cater to us. And we started to buy off of them. And as their prices rose, they were making more money. But we were able to make money too because our return sometimes was 25 to 1 on what you can get for apple juice as opposed to what you can get for alcoholic apple hard cider. So it was a great outlet for our local orchards. And we realized that this is the type of sustainable business that we could appreciate and we could kind of build a new business on after the logging business was over. So the idea of community, the idea of sustainability has always been there. I don't think I've ever made a hard cider with an apple that was grown more than two hours away from the place that I sold it. And then that's, you know, more than 10 years that we've been doing this right there. The locality of it and the lack of carbon that you eat up just in the logistics makes it a great, a great product to sell and great for the community as you're enriching all the different folks along the chain, along the process of creating the hard cider. And then this hard cider, we went to a whole different level. We got the sustainability of finding apples that were literally going to go into a pit or that some of them go into a dumpster and were almost a nuisance because then it attracts animals that want to go and eat those. And then the animals also are nipping at buds or pests become an enemy to the tree later on once they run out of uh, the old apples to eat and stuff like that. So it actually became a sustainable project on a much higher level than even Ben or I thought that it would be by the time we looked at how many apples were saved and how many could be saved if more of our production line ran through this type of a Sustainable practice, this type of a choosing to use apples that were fully neglected, not necessarily apples that were not getting the highest price. So I'm excited to see what we can do next because we learned so much. We definitely learned a lot of things that we can't do and that uh, weren't efficient for our personal time, but we also learned so much more about the sustainability of uh, not just getting apples that were discarded, but saving land, reducing pests, and making it easier for the orchard to manage itself.
0: Well, your efforts are very admirable. I very much appreciate your vision on this, which is why we're having this conversation. Ben, he's in the class of 2024. Does he have any plans to pursue cider making as a profession?
1: Ben, like me, enjoys beer and cider and civil war cider is expanding into beer this spring we've had a cidery license for a while now but we're getting a brewery license as well and we have hopes to tackle an ugly fruit beer uh, this coming spring alongside of an ugly fruit cider so a misfit mashup cider and a misfit beer could be on the way for march or april 2024
0: It sounds like good graduation plans. Before we close, is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience?
1: Well, so you're up in the Catskills and you have some great cider makers up there. I used to buy a lot of glass. So now we can things a lot because of the pandemic required us to go to 99% distribution for a period of more than two years so I had to switch to cans just because of the logistics of the heaviness of glass. But I used to drive up to Geneva and Waterloo. And then my wife and I would travel around throughout the area and learn about upstate New York and visit neat little places. The one that's sticking out in my mind is probably one of the more popular ones, 1911 Cidery. And we got to try some really great stuff. And I will say that when we visit Cornell or when we visit some of the orchards up there, It's really neat to try apple ciders and to try apple juice and to eat the apple from apples in a colder climate. You guys are zone six up in the Catskills, and we're actually just in a different zone right down here, even though Pennsylvania and New York are so different. We're in zone five, and our apples, in my opinion, tend to be a little less sugar-filled, a little damper, a little bit more juicy, and less of the sweetness. And so it's always fun for me to go up and visit the Cascals and buy some apples and try some ciders and get a different taste just because you know, I'm further up the river, I'm further up the mountain. So in reverse, if you have listeners up there that think they've tried all the hard ciders, or they've tried the whole panoply of uh, options that are out there. Send them down the Susquehanna River, please. They're going to get a different taste at each place, and I think they're going to get a different overall taste from some of the stuff you guys have up in the Catskills. I guess it'll be up to them to decide if they like it more or less. And
0: it sounds like instead of wine tours, we can go on cider tours.
1: There you go. Uh, I think there's more space in between the cideries, but yes, (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Thank you so much for your interest in our little project down here in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. And look forward to hearing from you when uh, we do something else that's cool and interesting.
0: Yes, we'll keep in touch. And I hope you didn't get bit by that. We had a killing frost on May 17th. That's our frost date here. And depending on what side of the mountain you were on, a lot of uh, farmers lost quite a bit of their fruit crop. I hope that didn't happen to you.
1: We got some of that and then we had two hails. We had one in June and one in July down here. Now, in the microclimate, sometimes next to the river, I think Dree's orchard, um, our primary orchard, uh, didn't have as much hail, but uh, Green's fruit farm, it was tough for them to find a uh, a perfect apple after that. Just the tiniest little hail can result in a bruise that just grows and grows and grows, and then technically by the grocery store standard, Uh, doesn't make it onto the shelf. So climate is changing a little bit and it's, and it's hard for some of these folks to make sure they have a crop that meets the high standards each and every year.
0: It was such a pleasure to speak with you.
1: Thank you, Rosie. Nice talking to you.
0: That was Rob Antonitis from Civil War Cidery speaking to us by telephone. As we wrapped up our conversation, Rob described a summer hailstorm that damaged the Susquehanna River Orchard's fruit crops. Closer to home here in our Delaware River Valley, Seminary Hill Cidery Orchard in Calicoon, New York, experienced a late spring freeze that impacted their fruit crop production. Please visit Radio Catskill's webpage, wjffradio.org, And find our locally produced special report, Hard Harvest, on the 2023 weather impacts on our local farmers. That's WJFFradio.org Hard Harvest, a special report. Hope that you enjoyed our show this week with production by a Radio Catskill volunteer, Keith Hubbard. Special thanks goes to our guest, Rob Antonitis, from Civil War Cidery, speaking to us on Bucknell University student Ben Fink's idea of a beneficial, sustainable beverage from Ugly Apples. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening local to Farm and Country and supporting Radio Catskill, public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community-supported, science-based nonprofit taking legal actions Providing tools for action and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008. Proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org Hi, it's Michelle Martin. Mornings can be tough.